Thank you, Lord, for this wonderful uh, day and the wonderful opportunity to uh, just share your word. Lord, we just want to thank you for your word. Your word is spirit and it is life. And the entrance of your word brings light. And Savior, I pray that your word this morning would, would enter into our hearts and would just bring light onto situations. Lord, every single one of us here, you know what each one of us are going through, what each one of us uh, are in or or just what our situations are. You know all about it, God. And you can take your word and you can apply it to every individual because it's your word and it's life. Savior, I just thank you that you're the one that will be speaking this morning, that you will be anointing your word by your Holy Spirit. And I pray that by your spirit, you would cause each of us, me included, to be open uh, reservoirs to receive your word and that I would be an open channel to just let it flow through me. Thank you for the power of your word and that it brings life and God that it brings deliverance in Jesus' name. Amen. In Proverbs twenty five twenty eight. it says, like a city whose walls are broken down is a person who lacks self-control. Let me just say that again. Like a city whose walls are broken down is a person who lacks self-control. And then in Proverbs 16:32b it says better is a person with self-control than one who takes a city. We're going to today be talking about self-control. Um, we know that we can't control ourselves, is that right? But God can control us by his spirit. Um, many of us have probably heard of the word spirit-controlled temperament. We've maybe studied temperaments and realized we have these natural tendencies, but God's spirit is the one who can bring that under control. And we have no excuse because we have God and we have his power. And we all make mistakes. Like James says, we, we every one of us offend every day, but we always can keep striving, going from glory to glory and uh, reaching out to God for help. It's been years since I spoke on this particular subject. And the reason I'm bringing that up is because it was years ago in Ireland that I actually spoke on this particular thing. And it's actually the book of Nehemiah that I'm going to be talking about. Many of you, as soon as I say Nehemiah, you know what that's all about. And I'm going to apply it to us as human beings in our daily lives. It's all about the city of Jerusalem whose walls were broken down. And the whole process God used to help get those walls built back up. And when I, the reason I'm mentioning that, that I did this years ago uh, in Ireland, is because... I, I never tell anyone, and my husband will vouch for that, I never tell anyone what I'm going to speak about or what God's going to speak about through me uh, when it's time to give a message or beforehand. I never reveal it because I feel like God is doing something in me and I don't want anything to come to touch it. It's kind of like I want to wait till that moment and then just let God put it out there. So this particular day in Ireland, no one knew what I was going to be talking about. And um, there was a prophecy uh, spoken, uh, a tongues and interpretation. And the interpretation was that many of you have your walls broken down. 
And God wants to rebuild those walls. And he wants to make you strong and be able to have self-control and to have your walls built up like a strong city. That was what the whole prophecy was about. And I never told anyone what I was going to be speaking about. So I said that because this word is straight from the word of God. It is just the word of God is what it is. And God's word is powerful. And God knew that it was a word that people need to hear, that the walls need to be built up. And I believe that that little thing I shared will maybe build our faith to really listen to God's word and to know that God is interested in getting the walls of our lives built up and uh, that we can be strong and victorious and not broken down and wallowing in rubble. All right, I'm just going to go straight through. It's not, I'm not going to today do a kind of a... There's three points or four points. I'm just going to go straight through, so it's just going to kind of be one after another thing. But I'm going to relate how the the rebuilding of these broken-down walls relates to us and how they handled it, how God helped them handle it, and how God can help us get the victory in our lives. And be victorious Christians and powerful, offensive Christians rather than uh, always on the defense. And I don't mean offensive like, you know, go around hurting people. I mean... We're on the offense. We're against the enemy. We're fighting him. He's, our weapons of warfare are spiritual. They're not carnal. We're fighting against spiritual things, not against flesh and blood. And uh, God gives us that power, and we can walk in victory every day. And this is how we can do it. Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king, um, King Zer- uh, Artaxerxes. Now, he was the son. The king was the son of uh, Xerxes, who had been the king, remember when Esther had done, their, had done their beauty pageant and Esther was the one chosen to be the king's second wife after his wife Vashti uh, didn't want to do a lewd dance in front of the guys, so he got rid of her and he brought in Esther. He had a beauty pageant and Esther was chosen. And so Esther became the wife of Xerxes. Well, Xerxes had a son already and his name was Artaxerxes, which probably means son of. I didn't look that up. Son of Xerxes, maybe. Uh, Somebody here might know that. But anyway, he was the king at this time. And the cupbearer to that king, who happened to be the stepson of Esther, who had a lot of influential thoughts about the Jewish nation because of what Esther had gone through and the stories he told about how God delivered uh, Jerusalem and, and, and the nation of Israel uh, through her influence. So he had some respect for Israel and for the Jewish people. Well, his cupbearer was uh, Nehemiah. And to be a cupbearer, you weren't just some guy that was a trusted guy. Well, you'd have to be trusted because to bring the cup to the king, that's why they had a cupbearer, is because they had to taste it first and make sure it didn't have poison in it before they handed it to the king. And they had to watch over the way things were prepared to make sure the king wasn't going to be poisoned. And so the cupbearer was a very important job, and it was held by a high official. It wasn't just anybody. So Nehemiah had a, uh, some influence there where he was. And so he was the cupbearer to the king. And his brother Hanani had gone over to visit Jerusalem. And Hanani had seen that the walls were all broken down. They had been taken into exile, and Jerusalem had been destroyed. And they had been taken away, and some had filtered back, and they had tried different times to try to start building the walls of the city back. But it just didn't work. The neighbor nations would taunt them. And 
and uh, come against them, and they never did succeed in getting the walls built up. And so Nehemiah was over here for years being the cupbearer to this king, and he didn't realize exactly that, that Jerusalem wasn't thriving yet again. So Hanani, his brother, had been over there, and he came back, and he said to Nehemiah, wow, Jerusalem is really in a mess. The walls are all broken down. The gates are burned with fire. They're just ash. There's nothing there. It's, it's, it's rubble. And Nehemiah took this so to heart. He was so distraught over this. And he just, for four months, before he approached the king, for four months he wept and cried out to God. And, and if you want to take Nehemiah home and just read the book, it's like 16 chapters or something. Um, it, it just is very descriptive. And chap, like whole chapter of his prayer to God and crying out to God. And... Um, and throughout the book, their prayers to God. But he was saying, God, you've got to help us. How can we be disgraced like this with our city, Jerusalem? The, the, the city of God is just torn down. And um, he didn't realize that it was in such a state. So he cried and wept and prayed and fasted for four months. And then one day he finally came to Artaxerxes, the king, uh, as his cupbearer. God had the courage to speak to the king. And um, actually, the reason he had the courage, because this particular day, it was really showing on his face. And the king said, my, you, your face looks really sad today. Why? The only, the only reason for an expression like that is that your heart must be really sad. And Nehemiah said a quick prayer to the Lord under his breath, God help me, to, to tell him. And uh, he said, well... How can I not be sad when my city, Jerusalem, is laying in ruins? And, of course, the king, like I said earlier, would have had a little bit of a heart towards Jerusalem because of Esther, his, his uh, stepmom. And so Artaxerxes said, well, what, what would you like me to do? And he, this is when he offered the prayer up to God. He was very afraid to say it, but he offered a prayer up to God, and then he said, I have a request. Would you allow me to go and oversee a project of getting those walls built up in Jerusalem? And Artaxerxes was all for it. He said, okay, and you can take this and that, and you can go get so-and-so and assign them duties of getting the lumber in, and, and it was just behind the whole task. And so he sent Nehemiah off and gave him a leave of absence, and he went off to Jerusalem. Now, when he got there to Jerusalem... He didn't just march in uh, and say, okay, we're going to get these walls built up. He greeted the people, and the people didn't really know why he was there, and the officials there didn't really know why he was there. But he waited till nightfall, and then he went out and inspected the walls. And he, he wanted to see. He didn't want to just announce it. He wanted to see what is it that really is going on here and what needs help. He inspected different little things and took notes so he would know exactly what was needed and how to organize the system. And I'm just going to interject as I go along things in our lives. Sometimes our lives have just become rubble. We had, the walls have been broken down. It once was a fortified city, and now the walls are broken down, and it's rubble. And we're not quite sure how to go about it. We've been taunted by the enemy, and, and we've been attacked by the enemy, and somehow we don't seem to have the strength to really get those walls back up. 
Maybe sometimes, instead of just announcing, I'm going to do this thing to everyone, sometimes we need to quietly pray and then go to God and ask him for a plan. Sometimes maybe we need to go in secret and think and lay out a plan so that nothing can come in and try to disturb that plan and other people can't come and uh, defeat our idea before it even gets started. Sometimes our ideas and our plans to, to do something are squelched before they ever get started because we announce it too quickly. And prayer before God, quiet, private, searching God, looking at the rubble, examining what really needs to be done here without speaking to anyone first can be a good start to getting a plan going. So he went by night and he looked, all, looked at all this and before announcing anything. Then he decided to tell the people. So he told them, he said, okay, you guys, let's rebuild this wall so we don't have to be in disgrace any longer. Isn't it a disgrace to have our walls broken down? I'm sure every one of us have experienced some degree of disgrace in our lives, of having something in our walls broken down. And he says, we don't want to be in disgrace any longer. Let's build these walls back up. Well, that's easier said than done. You don't just go and say, abracadabra, and the walls are up. Well, as soon as these several neighboring nations did not want Jerusalem to succeed, as the world does not want us Christians to be strong in the Lord. And sometimes those who are weak in the Lord and, and aren't succeeding want to pull us down because they don't want us to be strong in the Lord because it makes them feel... Um, I don't know, the things people feel when someone else is in the victory and, and uh, we're not. It's, it's something that's human nature, I guess. And so, but we want to be in the victory because that's where God wants us. And we want to have the power of his spirit to be able to have a, get, our, get our prayers answered and to be able to march forward and, and do what he's having us do. And so we need to be in the victory. We need to have victory over these things in our lives. And so Sanballat is one of the guy's names that I'll be talking about a lot, and Tobiah, and there was a guy named Geshem. Sanballat was a Horonite, Tobiah an Ammonite official, and Geshem was an Arab. These particular three guys are the ones who kept coming at him. Well, when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem heard that they were planning to build the walls, which this had happened before somebody had tried, and it, was, it would never actually go forward, they thought, ah, we'll just mock and ridicule them. That'll, that'll put them in their place. So they started mocking them, uh, just like, oh, I've heard of people doing this. Maybe there's a spouse that wants to quit smoking, and, and the other partner in the relationship, I, I know people personally that have done this, this per, other person in the relationship says, yeah, you won't make it a week. How many of us know of situations like that where People have ridiculed, oh, no, you won't make it. You're never going to make it. You've tried before. And so they started mocking and ridiculing. And these are things they were saying. Well, first of all, you're rebelling against the king. Here you want to build, build these walls. You're rebelling against the king. He's not going to want you to do that. And they were just making up things. And um, started throwing accusations out. Sanballat said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? 
Can they bring the stones back to life? Notice he called them feeble Jews. Now, I'm sure many of the Jews were just as robust and hefty as as some of the other people of the neighboring nations, and there probably were some pretty weak, feeble people in those other nations. But in order to put them in their place, he had to use a word that belittled them. And so the enemy will come and attack us when we're trying to build up the rubble or build up the walls and get rid of the rubble, and he will come and say, you're feeble, you can't do it. Look, you've tried before. You're never going to make it. What do they think they're doing? And friends or, or enemies might mock and uh, throw ridicule out there. What are these feeble Jews doing? And Nehemiah said this. He said, the God of heaven will give us success. And then he said to them, as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. And anyone that wants to speak defeat onto us has no right to be speaking that. Now, these were enemies of God's kingdom. It could be Christians actually discouraging us. But when people of the world are saying, you can't do it, and we can say, God of heaven is going to give me success, and you don't have any share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. The world does not have any claim on me. I'm God's child. I'm from a whole different kingdom, a whole different solar system or whatever you call it. I'm I'm from a whole different citizenship. I have no uh, earthly entanglements. I am from heaven. And the people of this world are citizens of a whole different kingdom. They can't speak for my kingdom that I'm in, and I know what my kingdom says I can do. And my kingdom says these walls can be rebuilt, and this can be a strong and fortified city. The God of heaven will give us success. We need to speak those words. The God of heaven will give me success. The God of heaven will give me success. And not only speak it, but speak it to the enemy. And who is our enemy? Satan. And we can speak to him. Uh, It may seem like, oh, you shouldn't be dabbling in talking to the devil or something like that. But my goodness, the word says, greater is he that is in us than he that's in the world. And we have amazing power over the enemy. Why? Because it's not our power. It's God who lives inside of us. And it's him working through us. It's not me talking to the devil. It's God talking to the devil through me. And I can say whatever I want to him. I can put him in his place as much as I want. And as many times, I mean, if I didn't have that weapon, I wouldn't be smiling and victorious. I use that weapon. No, Satan. Fear is gone. Get out in Jesus' name. You have no right to be on me. If fear starts to well up, and I'm like, oh, God, help me what a, you know, about a particular situation. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, what am I thinking? In the name of Jesus, fear, get off of me. All of a sudden, there's a relief, and I'm not distracted by that thought anymore. I have that power. Why? Because God is in me, and God is in each one of us. We have the power to speak to the enemy. The enemy is fear. The enemy is tim- intimidation. The enemy could be anything that, that he wants to throw at us to discourage us from re- rebuilding those walls. Tobias said, what are they building? Even a fox climbing up on it would break down their wall of stones. 
And so there's the belittling again. And it can come from our own selves. We ourselves can say, uh, I can't do this. I'm not strong enough. I am feeble. I'm feeble, and anything I would try to build, a fox climbing on it would knock it down. What am I even trying for? I might as well just go and relax into my rubble and enjoy the rubble. Sit on one of the rocks and just bask there. Look at the little weeds growing there and try to enjoy them. Instead of building into a strong, fortified city that God wants. What happens when we're in a city that, doesn't, that has its walls broken down, that's not fortified? We're vulnerable. We're not only vulnerable to, to physical attack, we're vulnerable to the enemy's spiritual attack. We're vulnerable to the enemy speaking things to our minds all day long, and we're, we're bombarded. We have to get out of the rubble. We have to stand up and say no to Satan and say no to the rubble. We have to say, I'm going to build. And if nobody helps me, I have God, and me and God are enough. We're going to build this thing up and get around the people that are going to be encouraging. We can't hang around people that are discouraging us from building up that rubble, that are taunting us and are throwing ridicule at us. There's nothing wrong with avoiding people. You know, if people are always discouraging and and downing, there's nothing wrong with that. The Bible says, don't keep company with an angry man or you'll learn his ways and get a snare to your own soul. We don't have to keep company with certain people that are dragging us down. Now, we have to be kind, but we don't have to be their best friend. Then, to that, to those comments, first of all, he said, the God of heaven will give us success and you have nothing to do with me. My mom, she used to, when we were kids, she was always quoting scriptures, and I'm not rolling my eyes, I think it's fabulous, I think it's wonderful, you know, she would, she was always putting the word somehow out there, and she'd take the Bible and put it on her heads and speak in tongues, or she'd put the Bible down on the floor and make a stand on it and say, standing on the promises, she would be drumming, drumming, drumming the word into us all the time, and I'm very thankful for that, and she would say this phrase, and I never even knew she got it out of the Bible, but it's out of this story. She, whenever something would come along and it was a negative thing, she would say, Satan, you have no partner lot with me. No partner lot. And I think that's King James or something. You have no partner lot in this situation. And here they're saying, he's saying, you don't have any share or claim to, or any right of it. You have no part with me. You're not attached to me. I have nothing to do with you. I am with God and that's it. So he cried out again, and he said, Hear us, O God. We are despised when they kept throwing out their taunts. Turn their insults back on them. And we can pray that. Turn their insults back on them. The enemy is our, is our prime enemy. And, and the Bible says the wicked man digs a pit as a snare to someone else, but then he falls into it himself. He puts out a net but he's the one that's caught in the net. We are not vulnerable when we have our walls built up, and we have the mighty power of God within us that can conquer any situation. So then after this, he cried out. He told told the enemy where he stood, and he said, Hear us, O God. And he kept calling out to God all through this story. God, we're despised. Hear us and help us. Then... They kept working. They worked with all their hearts, the Bible said. They kept working on these walls, coming against the enemy, 
crying out to God. And then the walls got up to like half their height. They actually got that far, up to half their height. Well, at this point, the enemies were not too happy. First of all, it says, at the very beginning, it said they were disturbed. When they realized that they were going to start building the walls, they were disturbed. It starts out with being disturbed. And then they thought, we're going to do something about it. So they mocked them, because that's worked before. But that didn't work, and now the walls were halfway up. And now it says they were very angry. And that very same person or enemy that tried to mock us and taunt us before then becomes angry. Aha! They're actually doing something about it. This might be making me look bad because now they're getting more victorious than I am or, or they think they're a goody two-shoes or something or they're trying to be one of these people that tries to get in good with the boss or something. People will put all kinds of labels on things that we do when we're trying to live God's life and walk in the victory and have victory in our own souls and be joyful instead of depressed all the time. Why does being joyful bug people? Because it's, you know, even the proverb says a loud greeting to someone in the morning will be taken as a curse because a lot of people aren't morning people and you give them a loud greeting, they're like, oh yeah, shut up. It's, 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 it's nice when you're, when you're allowing yourself to be down in the dumps to have other people be down in the dumps with you because it just feels better than you don't have to get up out of there to feel like you're measuring up to something. So it's nice to just put those people down because then maybe they won't be making you feel like you're not in their league or category or whatever it is. So they became very angry. Then it says they plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem, to stir up trouble against it. So they get disturbed. Then they start mocking. And when I say they, I'm including Satan, the enemy of our souls, who's roaming about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. They start mocking. Then they become very angry and then start plotting. So then when they start plotting... That's when we really have to start praying. So Nehemiah prayed again. And he's talking in the first person throughout this book. So we prayed. And at this point, when they became very angry and started plotting, we posted a guard day and night. When we're in the midst of trying to build back up the walls, it's not going to be a picnic every day. It's going to be hard work, and we have to keep our guard up. We have to keep the guard up to keep the enemy's taunts away, we have to, and we have to do it day and night. We might wake up in the middle of the night with haunting feelings or thoughts coming to us. We might wake up the first thing in the morning, and it's just haunting, and we just want to go back to sleep, and we can't go back to sleep because it's haunting. But we have to set up a guard day and night. And what's the best guard to set up? First of all, to let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. If we're continually reading God's word, we find all kinds of promises. And I know when I've had something like that where I wake up and I'm worried about something, a scripture will come and I start standing on that scripture, quoting that scripture, and as that word starts going out of my mouth or even out of my thoughts, that atmosphere starts changing and dissipating. And I start 
feeling like, okay, I can go back to sleep, or I have the victory again. Just start quoting one phrase out of a verse that's the truth. God's word brings light. It brings life. And um, what is the verse? Uh, You'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We want to be free, right? Free from those things that are trying to hold us down. So God's word is what's going to do that. It's going to set us free. And so as we quote God's word, as we speak that phrase of truth right out of God's word, that's out of God's mouth, and it's speaking to the atmosphere around us. This atmosphere around us has so much more to do with our lives than we realize. Our feelings and thoughts, Satan will bring a certain atmosphere to our feelings or thoughts, and then we will give in to that and think a negative thought about someone or think, oh, they said this because of that. So then we'll kind of snub them a little bit because we think they don't like us, and then there's a whole rift there, and then you say something to somebody else, and it just builds and builds. Why not nip it in the bud as soon as that thought comes and say no in Jesus' name and go straight to that person and um, make that bond rather than having a rift there? Because we have the power. We have the power to come against all these things that bring strife and division in the body of Christ. We prayed and we posted a guard day and night for a while while we're building the rubble back up. It's going to be work. And it might be like, man, am I ever going to get to where I can just relax and be happy and just feel like everybody loves me and I love everybody and it's just a picnic all the time? There will be days where that comes. But in the, in the walk with the Lord, there, is, there are always going to be times where we have something to fight against. And, you know, the Bible says many, and that word many means a lot, many are the afflictions of the righteous. But the Lord delivers him out of them all. Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. I've already overcome it. You're not down in that rubble. I have overcome it, and we together are the victors. Then the people of Judah, the very people who were trying to build their walls, it wasn't just now coming from the outside. It was coming from the inside. My own thoughts, my own feelings, my own family. They said, the strength of the laborers is giving out. There is so much rubble that we can't rebuild. Now, remember where they were in this process? The walls were already halfway up. And at this point, after making it that far, halfway up, they started saying, we can't do this. I've seen people, like on these big things you might see where it's a before and after and the person has lost a million pounds so far. And when you look at the picture, you think, wow, boy, they must have a long, they must have weighed a lot because they have looked like they have a long way to go still. And they've already lost all this tons of pounds. And you're thinking, boy, it'd be hard to just keep going when you can't even see the results after so many pounds. But it's ha- they're halfway there. If they lost that much again, wow, they'd be astonishing. Because, and these people were halfway there. And we give up sometimes halfway because we've worked so hard. And it's taken so long and we're like, I don't see the results. It's just this half wall. The enemies, can, they can still just come right over that wall. That's not protecting us at all. Why don't we just stop? But my goodness, it's halfway there. And we need to keep going. And so the people were saying, the strength is giving out. There's so much rubble. We can't rebuild. And then the enemies started saying, 
before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them. And we will kill them. Now it's gone from being disturbed and mocking and being very angry and plotting, and now they're going to kill the people. They're really going to go at it. Now we're going to kill them, and we're going to put this work to an end. If I can't get, if I can't stop that person from walking in victory, then I'm just going to kill them. And the enemy might like to think he would do that because the person's making progress, and he doesn't want to see us make progress because what happens when we make progress and we're living in the victory? We can't help but it overflowing. We can't help but tell people about it. We can't help but say, look what God did for me. Look what God brought me out of. And other people are going to catch it, catch it and, and say, I'm going to get God to do that for me. And then God's army's getting bigger and more powerful. We can't let that happen, the enemy says. So he just liked to kill them or just put them totally out of commission. The Jews who heard those guys talking, those enemies saying that, said, and it says 10 times over, they kept repeating it. They kept saying to the officials, wherever you turn, they're going to attack us. Everywhere you turn, they're going to attack us. How can we possibly have strength to do anything when we think everywhere I turn, the enemy's attacking me? But if I can get on the offensive and believe that greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world, it doesn't matter what where, everywhere I turn is happening. I could walk into a raging fire and know God is with me like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. It doesn't matter if everyone around me hates me because I have God in my life, and I'm going to live with him forever. And who's going to be sitting on the thrones then? Who's going to be the one? The Bible says the Lord sits in the heavens and laughs because he knows their day is coming. We, we have the Lord on our side, and he knows. He read the end of the book. He wrote the end of the book. And we've read it, and we know the end of the story, that we're the victors. So we don't have to fear what this world uh, fears. So then Nehemiah stationed some people behind the lowest points of the wall at exposed places with swords, spears, and bows. So up to this point, the people were working, and there were guards on the wall, but the people themselves didn't have uh, swords, spears, and bows. But because the, their strength was giving out and they were getting discouraged themselves, he said, okay, we've got to do something here. We're going to station some people behind the lowest parts of the wall uh, and the most exposed places with swords, spears, and bows. So the, the, the civilians were getting some, some weapons there to work with, even though they were working on the walls. And sometimes at our lowest points uh, of vulnerability, we have to have someone positioned behind there. We have to have accountability. We need to go to someone and say, listen, I'm not... I'm not seeming to be able to hold out. My strength's getting weak. I need, would you mind being somebody that I can run to if I, if I need help or encouragement that I can run to and, and get some strength from? And maybe you can help point out if I look like I'm going the wrong way and, and speak to, into my life. We need to get people placed at those lowest points so that we can have the strength to, um, to endure that and to go through it. So Nehemiah looked things over and stood up and said, Don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome. 
and fight for your families and your sons and daughters and your wives and your homes. And it's not just us we're fighting for. It's not just me wanting to be in the victory. If I'm not in the victory, I have no power to pray for my family. I'm just thinking about my own problems. I'm just wallowing in my own despair and, and how I'm the vulnerable victim or the one who got myself into my own jam, whichever it is, but I'm thinking about myself. But if I get up out of that rubble and start, and start building those walls, I have the power to do something for somebody else. Then I, I'm moved when I hear a need. I'm moved to pray about that need or to help. My, the, the, the compassion rises up within us and wants to reach out and do something and, and to cry out to God on that person's behalf and to encourage them. So he says, remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight. So we need to remember the Lord. We forget him, don't we? We forget. Oh, oh yeah, there's the Lord, but he's up there. No, he's not. He's in me and he's powerful. He's greater, greater than he that's in the world. He's right here inside. And I have that resource. Remember him who is great and awesome and fight. And there's another scripture in the New Testament, endure hardness as a good soldier. We got to remember we're soldiers. We're not, we're not just people that are supposed to be happy because God gave us a great life and, and we're supposed to, everything's supposed to be going good for us because we're his child. No, we're in a battle. The Bible says um, that, that our enemy is out to get us, but we need to always have that thought and concept that we are in a battle and be strong and endure hardness as a good soldier. When some hardness comes along from someone or something or some situation, we can look at it and, and just say, I'm a soldier. I'm going to endure this hardness and I'm going to go through it. And that keeps us victorious instead of saying, oh, this situation's happening to me. James says, don't, don't look at it as some weird, strange thing is happening to you when you're in a trial or tribulation. He says that kind of thing is going to cause perseverance to come into your life and, and patience. It's going to build stuff in you, and it's going to make you strong. So we need to rejoice when we see these things. It's going to give us muscles. I'm not the type of person that likes to go and just take the initiative to go and like lift weights or something like that. But like if there's a load of hay to unload, and Alma needs some help with it, I'm thinking goody, I can get some exercise. And, and I don't want to just exercise, but if I do that, then I can get some exercise. Well, sometimes things come into our lives that we just have to go through, and that gets us some exercise, some spiritual exercise. And if we look at it that way, we can think, yeah, this is growing some spiritual muscles, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get perseverance through this. And what's the end product? Maturity. I'm going to become a mature person lacking nothing. When the enemies heard, when the enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to our work. And when we make the enemy aware that we're aware of his plot, we have the strength. We're not paralyzed anymore. We have the strength to return to our work. If we know that we've made him aware, Satan, I'm looking right at you. You're not going to stop me. I'm the victor through Jesus Christ. This is going to go forward. You have nothing to say about it. You have no partner lot with me. You're not going to interfere with me. And I just want you to know I'm aware of your schemes, and I'm going forward. When the enemy sees that, we sense it right there in our spirit that he saw it when we spoke to him. 
suddenly we have the power to return to our work and to get back at it. So from that day on, it says, half of the people did the work, and the other half had spears, shields, bows, and armors. There are more people with weapons now. Then it says, those who carried the materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. And each builder wore his sword at his side as he worked. Don't we need to wear the sword at our side as we work? You know, the Bible tells us not to get caught up in civilian affairs. We, we happen to live in this world, but it's not our home, and it's, this is not where our citizenship is. We need to, we need to keep the sword at our side. We're, we're never really in a resting mode here on this earth. God gives us beautiful, refreshing times, but we are in a warfare and always need to have our sword with us. And if we're, if we're not reading God's word and getting it to be a deep part of us, the Holy Spirit has nothing to draw out from us of something we've read. There have been times where I've read something years ago and hadn't read it lately, even forgot it was there, and be going through something. And suddenly that verse would come to my mind without me trying to find it or think or look in a concordance to find something on that category or anything. It just, that verse came. Why? Because it was in there. And as we store it in there, we have something to draw from. Just like eating our, eating our food, we have vitamins and minerals to draw from. If we go a whole day without eating, we start feeling it and realizing it. But if we, if we eat our meals like we should, even if we don't remember it, sometimes we may leave and say, hmm, somebody might say, was it a good service? Yeah, what was the sermon about? Uh, I don't know, but it was good. That's okay. Because, you know, like I heard it said one time, you might say, my wife's a good cook. What'd you have for supper last night? Uh, I don't remember, but I know it was good. Well, you drew nourishment and strength from it. If you hadn't eaten it, you probably would have noticed. And it's his word going into us that keeps us going, hearing God's word, reading God's word. We, the spirit has something to draw from when we need it, and he puts it there right in front of us. And, it, and then when those scriptures would come, it's like you can repeat it, yes, and draw strength from it. And you're not under, you're over. How does that go? His, uh, whatever's over my head is under his feet. That was a song years ago. So the guards had the weapons on, even, it says, when they went for water. So even when we're doing some fun fellowshipping time, just enjoying, maybe getting some water, just relaxing with friends, we need to always have our weapons with us always have the word of God. We need to always be in the spirit, praying in tongues under our breath or whatever. And I know there are probably many here who might not think tongues is necessary, but I just know that the church I grew up in, everybody was seeking to be filled with the spirit where you spoke in tongues and everybody got it. So when people say it's just for some people and not for others, well, it says covet the, it says you can covet the greater gifts, but I mean, if even if tongues was just one of the gifts, you can covet it. And, man, it's a mighty weapon. The prayer language, though, is different. Paul says, I wish you spoke in tongues. I'm glad I speak in tongues more than you all. And um, he was speaking in tongues all the time. And that is a powerful weapon. And, and maybe it's time to reconsider that maybe this is something I need in my life because I know I don't have the words to say sometimes to get in the victory. And I... I, I, I don't even know what to say to God. I don't feel like praying about it. But then I just started speaking in tongues, speaking in tongues, speaking in tongues, speaking in tongues, speaking in tongues. It gets more and more powerful, and then it becomes a mighty, 
uh, arsenal. It becomes like a machine gun against the enemy, and it's like, I'm way up here. I was down there. So speaking in tongues is a powerful thing, and we should not discount it. It's something we need. We need that resource. We need to be able to do that as a powerful weapon. Keep our weapons with us, the Word of God in our hearts. And, and also speaking in tongues, you know, the Bible says that, that um, the tongue is the most unruly member and it's hard to tame it. But I believe that if we speak in tongues a lot, that tongue is getting tamed. Because God chose the most unruly member of the body to grab a hold of and change it to be bringing praise and prayer to him that we don't even know we're saying. So each one had his sword to decide as he worked. The guards even, while they went for water, they had their, their swords with them. When the word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, these are the enemies, and the rest of the enemies, that the walls were up. Now the walls are up. And the gaps were closed. Except at this point, they didn't have the, the doors in. They had the walls were up, the gaps were closed. Um, then they thought, we're going to try a different tactic. None of these things we've tried to do has worked. We, wanna, we don't want them to get the doors in and get all the way uh, fortified. So they said, they started trying a gingerly different kind of a subtle approach. And they said, let's meet together. Let's just have a little meeting. Let's have a talk. Nehemiah says in, in this uh, book, he says, but they were scheming to harm me. And Nehemiah sent messengers. The messengers came to tell him, hey, we want to meet with you. First, they're taunting and, and uh, angry and plotting to kill him. Now they just want to talk. That could look like, oh, well, maybe they're okay. Maybe I can just have a chat. We'll just go for coffee. That shouldn't be so bad. Oh, believe me, I know. You don't just go for coffee, okay? That's just thrown in there. So, he says, maybe we could just have a little meeting. But Nehemiah sent word and said, we're too busy working. We can't stop the work. We have to keep going. Four times these messengers came and said, oh, please come and meet with us. We just want to meet with you and have a chat. And he said, I can't stop the work. Too busy working, building the walls. And that's what we need to do. Can't stop the work. Then the fifth time when they tried to get him, they sent a message that said, there's a rumor that you're plotting a revolt and that you're going to try to become the king. And this is going to look bad to the king and get back to him. So we've got to meet. So they, they try to make the, the little meeting sound a little bit more necessary. We've got to meet. We don't have to meet. We don't have to meet with old friends. We don't have to take that one drink. We don't have to take that one little peek. That one meeting is going to ruin it all. He knew they were plotting and scheming his ruin. So Nehemiah sent this message back. Nothing like this is happening, and you are making it up out of your own head. And we can say that to Satan. Nothing like that's happening. You're making that up out of your own head. You're the liar. You're the father of lies, and I don't believe you. Sometimes when thoughts start coming through my head, I don't know, paranoia thoughts about people or whatever, and then I realize it and grab hold of it, no, Satan, you're a liar. That's a lie. And as soon as I say that, it's not my imagination. It's happened too many times. It's gone. 
that feeling that's starting to well up, that little bitter, resentful feeling or whatever it is, fades away. And I'm like, oh, there's nothing wrong. What was, what was that? It's gone. We have the power and we can speak to the enemy. Nothing like this is going to happen. You're making it up out of your own heads. And it says in there, they were trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work. And when we get frightened, our hands get weak. We become paralyzed. And then the wall won't be completed. He says, but I prayed. Now strengthen my hands. Notice he keeps calling out to God. He keeps going to the source. He keeps saying, strengthen my hands, God. Keep me going here. One day... He went to the house, Nehemiah went to the house of Shemaiah, a priest, and he had, there was some little unclean thing like they had in the Old Testament, you couldn't go to the temple or come out of your house sometimes if there was an unclean thing. He was shut in in his house, and um, so Nehemiah had gone to see him, and this guy said, let's go into the inner room of the temple and shut the door, because they're plotting to kill you. Nehemiah recognized it immediately. Just because this guy was a prophet, just because he was speaking what were supposed to be words of the Lord, he wasn't having any of it because it went against God's word. God had said, no, Nehemiah, you can't just walk into that temple. And certainly he can't go in that temple and go in the inner room and shut the door. This was forbidden. He was going to be breaking God's law, the law at that time, if he did that. So he knew the guy wasn't speaking the truth. And if it goes against God's word, we have to say, it doesn't matter who's saying it. It doesn't matter if it's a prophet. It doesn't matter what it is, who it is, somebody that's esteemed and powerful and everybody believes. If they say something that goes against God's word, no, have none of it. And we have to have his word so full in us that we know, we recognize when it's not God's word. And so he, he, he recognized that this was not God speaking And Nehemiah said, what, should a man like me run and hide in the temple? Or another way that some people contend that it should have been translated, can I actually go into the temple and still live? Because God probably would have stricken him dead. He realized God had not spoken through Shemaiah. And it, it goes on to say he prophesied because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. To intimidate Nehemiah, And so make him commit a sin and get a bad name, give him a bad name and discredit him. And if we listen to the enemy instead of God's word, we're going to get a bad name and it's going to discredit us and it's going to really put a detriment on our work and on our, those walls we're trying to build up. The wall was finished with the doors put up and everything in 52 days. In all this story, it doesn't sound like 52 days, but 52 days because they worked hard, they called out to God, they kept at it, they didn't listen to the enemy. After 142 years after its destruction in 586 B.C., they had tried different times, but this time there was more resolve there. When the enemies heard this and all the surrounding nations, guess what they did this time? What tactic did they use this time? They were afraid and lost self-confidence. The first time in the story that we see the enemy becoming afraid. They lost self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of God. Nothing can be done except with the help of God, but we've got the help of God so we can do it. 
And then Nehemiah said, keep the gates shut and barred at all times at night. Don't open it till the sun's, sun's hot in the daytime. Keep those guards appointed. And so they're always going to have guards. They're always going to keep the gates shut. And if we have a gate in our life, if we have some vulnerability in our life, we want to keep those gates shut at the nighttime. It's only when the sun is bright, when, we're, when we are powerful and, and right in tune with God and his word, that uh, we can step out maybe in the area of that place to, to even go witness there. But otherwise, we need to stay far away from it. Keep those gates closed. The people came together into the square, and Ezra read the book of the law from, of Moses from daybreak until noon. And the people stayed there and listened from daybreak until noon. Why? Look what God had done. Look at the powerful things he had done in their lives. They weren't just playing church. They were there because God had done something in their lives. Then they began weeping. They were hearing this book of the law read, and they saw all the things they had done that got them in this mess in the first place. So they were weeping and crying because of the law they had broken and how they had gone against what God's plan was for their lives and the things that God said would bring them life and bring them victory. They went the other way, and they got themselves into this mess. So now they were crying and saying, Oh, God, we've, God, you've got to forgive us. And then Nehemiah, Ezra, Ezra, the Levites, they all said, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks. Send them some to those who have nothing prepared, because this day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And if we're grieving and grieving over our sins so much, we've got to, we've got to take him at his word that he forgave us. We come, we make a mistake, and we say, God, that was wrong. I, I, I spoke the wrong thing there. I'm sorry. My heart was not right when I said it. Please forgive me. Go to the person. Make it right if we need to. Um, if there was somebody offended by it, make it right. Make it right with God, and go on our way in joy, because immediately God has forgiven us and cleansed us. Then it says the people celebrated with great joy because they now understood the words that had been made known to them. Later they had a time of fasting and repenting of sin, uh, which, which had caused the destruction. But this day, when they were delivered and the wall was set up, it was a day of celebration. And when we're delivered, that, that is a day of celebration. That's why we can dance and sing and have victory. Not just because we're happy because everything's going right, but sometimes... We're, we're fighting a battle while we're singing and praising and dancing. We're doing warfare, and we're in a battle. So the, things, the, act, the tactics the enemies tried was, they, well, they were disturbed. They mocked them and ridiculed them. They were angry. They put plots against them. They tried to, then discouragement from within came. It's too hard. They sent threats. They said, oh, let's meet. They tried to frighten them and intimidate them and discredit their name. But then when the wall was up and the enemy saw it, the, the enemy lost confidence and was afraid. So the enemy went from being the one who caused fear to being afraid. There, there was a song, an old spiritual, that we, my parents used to sing, and it was like, uh, let's see, how does it go? Da, 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 da. The devil done tucked his tail and run. It was Anyway, that was part of it, but it was like, 
Hosanna, living in the presence of the king. Hosanna, that's why the praises ring. I'm as free as I can be. The devil ain't got no claim on me. Hosanna, living in the presence of the king. Hosanna, that's why the praises ring. The victory's won through God's dear son. The devil done tucked his tail and run. Hosanna, living in the presence of the king. And remember the song about... Um, that our, sing, that our praises and singing to God causes the chains, how does that go? The chains to fall behind me, and they're only there to remind me that, that God brought me out of it. Remember that song that was popular a while back? Those chains are just there to remind us that once he had us bound, but now we're free. And how can we but praise him, as the song says? Because just because someone is smiling and joyful in victory doesn't mean that everything is perfectly always going right in their lives, and that, and that, well, if they'd been through what I'd been through, they wouldn't be smiling. No, it might just be because they know the weapons of warfare, and they're going through a battle right now, and they're standing on the word, and they have the victory in their hearts already because they know the battle is won, even before they see the results. Nehemiah examined the situation carefully before he said a word to anybody about what he was going to do. After months of prayer, Then he said to the people, God is with us. He prayed for strength, and he kept praying throughout. They worked hard. They knew they had to keep working hard. They stayed alert and on guard. They kept their weapons with them. They were accountable. They remembered God's power. They made the enemy hear. They didn't take a break to meet with the enemy. They told Satan he was a liar, they didn't run in fear, and they rejoiced. And then it says the people made a binding agreement in writing that they were going to obey the Lord and turn from evil. They wanted God's blessing and protection, which had gone away because of the sin. They didn't want to get in the same situation again. Now, there may be people here that are in some kind of a thing where you're trying to get out and you've always been trying, and maybe God's word has ignited something within to cause you to want to get a good kickstart this morning. I'm going to do this. We're going to do this. Me and God and whoever else will stand with us. And you'd like to, you'd like to maybe just come forward now and, and get some prayer. There, there are people that will, that will help to pray, to, um, to help to, to, to pray to get you a good kickstart on this victory over the enemy and over, over depression, over fear, whatever it is. We can speak to depression too. We can, speak, we can speak to any title. Jesus said, if you have faith as a grain of a mustard seed, you can speak to that mountain and tell it to go and be cast into the sea. And we can speak to things. And, and it works. And it's powerful. Anyone want to come and get prayer now? And we have people that can... That will pray.